well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I am glad to be back with you. I uh, did enjoy my week off. Hopefully uh, you had a good week as well, but uh, I am glad to be back behind the microphone once again. No shortage of things to talk about, including the... Uh, News announced over the weekend that uh, major credit card companies are now going to be uh, providing uh, new details, I guess, right, Uh, uh, for purchases made at gun stores. Uh, We're going to get to the bottom of this, what this is all about, and what happens next, quite frankly, because this is not the end goal of the uh, gun control lobby that has been pushing so hard for this for the past couple of years. Uh, Joining us to talk about this decision, how it's going to impact gun owners as well as gun stores, and again, what the next steps for the uh, gun control lobby will be. Uh, Mark Oliva from the National Shooting Sports Foundation sat down with us to explain it all. Take a look and a listen. Mark, first of all, thanks very much for uh, joining me on the program today. It's good to talk with you. Um, Second, let's just get into this. What does this announcement uh, uh, really mean for, let's start with gun stores, uh, and then we'll get into gun owners. But, uh, you know, now that uh, these credit card companies were told are going to start, you know, tracking purchases at, at gun stores, what does that do for the industry? Yeah. So, Cam, what happened with this, with the ISO setting this new standard to create these new merchant uh, category codes, these MCCs, is uh, before if you went into a Cabela's, a Bass Pro Shop, or even a mom and pop uh, gun store um, in downtown corner, it uh, was always categorized as a sporting goods uh, purchase if you used a credit card. Uh, well, now they're going to create a special category for this to uh, specify that it is, in fact, coming from a firearm retailer. So any purchase that you make with the credit card will be categorized uh, as a purchase from a firearm retailer, uh, whether that be for a purchase uh, for new duck hunting waders or for the purchase of a new shotgun and ammunition. Uh, what it does not do is does not go into what is in the basket. So whatever you purchase, it doesn't specify out what it is. It just says that here's the purchase that Mark Oliver made, uh, and it was for X amount of dollars. And if it becomes suspect and that uh, I, that definition has not been clarified, uh, then it would allow uh, these uh, credit card processing companies to report this to law enforcement. And that's the people who have been pushing this idea of saying it's going to be uh, a tool for them to be able to stop potential mass murderers. And they're looking at the particular instance of Ubaldi and a couple of these others where people have been able to purchase uh, firearms with a credit card and then go commit these horrific crimes. But the problem is, again, of course, is it wraps up every purchase made at any firearm retailer for any purpose whatsoever. Yeah. And how how do you determine whether or not something is suspicious? I mean, you could if you're just looking at the dollar amount, uh, you know, it's possible, let's say somebody goes and buys a boat uh, with a credit card right uh, at a Bass Pro Shops. Uh, You know, that might show up as a forty thousand dollar transaction. Is that going to raise some red flags? Meanwhile, we know the killer in Uvalde purchased one gun. Right. Uh, (laughs) You know, and so. I'm I'm confused as to the supposed benefit uh, to law enforcement coming from this. But I also, Mark, I get the sneaking suspicion that this isn't the end game or the end goal of of the gun control lobby here to uh, to just make these changes uh, to the credit card process. And it seems to me like they want to actually try to shut down being able to purchase firearms on credit. 
Yeah, so let's break that down into the two two questions you have here, Cam. And, and you're right, it is junk data. So what it is is going to wrap up every purchase uh, that you make at anybody who sells guns, including anything else at their store, as as a potentially uh, large purchase that they might want to monitor and see where this is going. Again, like you use the analogy of using a, a boat purchase. But let's think about people who are are waterfowl hunters. Uh, beginning of the season comes around and, and you need to buy a whole new set of decoys. You need to buy new waders. You need to buy a new shotgun. Uh, you maybe want to buy a flat of ammunition. And we all know that alternative ammunition, especially if you're looking at bismuth or tungsten, or some of the others, uh, it's not cheap. Uh, so this can very quickly climb into the thousands of dollars. Uh, so when you start to look at those, then it, it wraps up every person who wants to just go out for uh, you know a duck hunting trip. Uh, that's going to be put on this uh, on this supposed uh, watch list, if you will, uh, by these credit card companies going to be reporting to law enforcement officers. Um, but two, when you, you ask about you know who is you know pushing this and, and what's the end state, well, this has been pushed by gun control groups uh, for some time. If we look back in history, Andrew Ross Sorkin, a, a liberal columnist for the New York Times, proposed this idea back in 2018, and, and we pushed back against it then. Uh, we had been working with the credit card companies uh, then, and they said they didn't want anything to do with this at that time. Uh, because it is a lawful purchase and they didn't want to get in the business of deciding what was a good lawful purchase and what was a suspect lawful purchase. And again, there's been no definition as to what that threshold would be uh, as to what would cause someone to fall under suspicion. But we look at Andrew Ross Sorkin and some of these others, but we even saw some of the tweets over the weekend that even Gifford's gun control group said this is just the first step. The next step, they said there's next steps that they want to do, and they want to start to categorize what's actually in that basket so they can start to figure out what you're actually buying with your credit card, and they can report that as well. well that creates a backdoor registry. That creates uh, that puts every gun owner potentially on a on a privatized gun control watch list uh, that the federal government's not authorized to do uh, because of federal law. So this creates a real concern for privacy, and it can say concerns a real uh, a real problem for those who can see this as as we do uh, as a chilling effect on your ability to exercise your Second Amendment right. No one would put you on a watch list, we would hope, for exercising your First Amendment rights. Uh, but we're seeing that uh, now we have private industry, uh, international private industry, that wants to put you on a watch list uh, because you're exercising your Second Amendment rights and doing so lawfully. Do you think it stops there or do you think that they do eventually want to try to get these uh, credit card companies to say we will not finance the purchase of, of firearms or ammunition? Yeah, this is just the first step. We know this for a fact. Again, when we look at the history of this, Andrew Ross Sorkin's idea was to pressure the credit card companies to cut off all gun sales uh, with the use of credit cards. Now, again, we're talking about something that's a high dollar item. Even your cheapest firearms are going to cost you a couple hundred dollars. Uh, your your more expensive firearms can cost you up you know upwards of two, three thousand, maybe even five thousand dollars, depending on what you're trying to buy. But if we're looking at uh, now that you're going to force gun makers to do everything in cash, now you're going to be asking them to go. Uh, walk into stores with wads of cash in their pocket. Uh, that creates, uh, you know, two issues. One, it kind of it's self-defeating for their own system to be able to track it. If now you're going to have gun owners who are going to go purchase their next firearm with cash, well, then that's not going to be recorded on their system. So it's kind of self-defeating if you look at it from their perspective. Uh, but two is it also creates a security issue for uh, many of these gun stores and for gun owners and gun purchasers themselves. Because now if uh, if these who are going to be targeting these 
places know that they're going to be dealing in large amounts of cash, uh, then that's going to become a problem. Now, if we look at a completely unrelated industry, uh, if we look at the the marijuana industry, they've had this uh, similar issue because a lot of those companies have been unbanked because they don't want to be associated with that industry. And I'm not advocating for them one way or the other. Uh, but we see that those places have also been targeted because uh, thieves know that they're uh, working with large amounts of cash because people aren't using credit cards to do that. Well, we're going to be looking at the same problem for firearm uh, firearm retailers as well. But again, we're talking about a constitutionally protected industry. Our industry is protected by this by the Constitution, by the Second Amendment. The Supreme Court has has uh, has affirmed that this is an individual right for you to be able to do this. And if you are blocked from your ability to exercise your right to purchase a gun at the gun counter, then you're being denied your rights. And this is essentially what it is. You have a privatized way that lawmakers, uh, attorneys general, both at uh, New York and, and at California, senators and Senate have sent letters to these companies pushing for this. And they're now trying to find ways to use private industry to deny your ability or chill your ability to exercise your Second Amendment rights. Yeah, and it, it reminds me a little bit of uh, Operation Choke Point. Um, you know, during the Obama administration, where the administration basically told these banks, hey, you know, listen, if you do business with the uh, the gun industry, boy, that really opens you up to all sorts of, you know, uh, liability here. We're probably going to have to go in and take a look at your books. It'd be a real shame if that happened. It seems like we're seeing that same type of pressure, right? We're not talking about legislation. We're just talking about this pressure campaign from elected officials about, oh, it's a really nice industry. It'd be a shame if something happened to it, right? Yeah, this is exactly what you're saying. So ever since Operation Choke Point was shut down and Congress uh, took a deep, hard look into it uh, and said that, yes, in fact, what, uh, what the Obama administration, Department of Justice and FDIC were doing was, it was illegal, uh, that has gone private. So you've seen that happening first with, uh, you know, payment processors denying uh, services and, and banking industry denying services to fire manufacturers and retailers, to, you know, cutting them out of the industry saying, oh, you, well, you're quote unquote reputational risk. And we, we've been working with uh, members of Congress and, and the Senate to introduce legislation to stop that from happening because it is unconstitutional discrimination. Well, now we're seeing that go a step further. Again, this is unchecked government power being used to affect uh, international international commerce. So we, this is a very serious concern for not just the industry, but for the gun owners themselves to be able to uh, purchase the, the firearms that they choose that they want to own. So how do we check this unchecked power? Uh, what, 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 what is the industry planning on doing? What can individual gun owners do at this point? Yeah, so we've been working with Congress uh, on this. We've been working, obviously, with some of the names that you may recognize on this issue. Uh, Senator Braun, Senator Crapo, Senator Kennedy. Uh, we're all aware, obviously, this this maneuver, uh, latest by the ISO, came very quickly. We didn't expect it was going to happen this fast. We knew that they were considering it, uh, but we've been working to push back on that. So I think the next steps is to work on them, uh, work with those uh, those members of Congress and those senators to make sure that, first, uh, that these credit card companies aren't able to look into the basket, if you will, of what you're actually purchasing on these orders so that if they're going to start reporting this data that they can't dig down into actually what's in your shopping basket uh, when you do that that is a private purchase that is your your privacy at risk right there uh, second i think we need to make sure that we start to push back against this and, and first of all we need to make sure that we get lawmakers in there who are going to uphold your individual rights so the, the first thing that we're going to be always doing is, is pushing uh you know our gun vote program learn who your senators learn who your members of congress are 
learn where they've been voting uh, and and how they've been either working to support your rights or deny your rights and and make sure that you're voting accordingly and learn how to get registered to vote learn where your polling place is make sure you know where to be on november 8th to make sure that we have the right people in congress uh, to make to protect your second amendment rights but again we need to continue to work with members of congress to to introduce legislation that's going to protect this industry and protect gun owners uh, in in exercising their individual rights and protecting their privacy all right listen last question for you you talked about uh, over the weekend givers tweeting out uh, you know this is just the first step uh, and what they want that next step to be to peer into the basket what do they have to do to get that, do they have to go back to ISO? I mean, what what is the process of changing that? Because that seems to me to be a, a pretty substantial change that would have to be made here. Um, so, how do they actually go about doing that? Again, are we going to see another round of pressure campaigns like we saw uh, over the past few years? I think you're going to see more pressure campaigns to look into it. And I and I think that for those of those who may be saying, hey, it's it's the gun industry crying wolf, and then you know. It's, Chicken Little Sky is falling. I think that you probably need to start to look at some of these other woke campaigns that are not just against us as the industry, but also against some of these others. So what happens to the cattlemen who who are trying to sell beef? Are they going to start looking at how much red meat that you're buying? Are they going to start looking at the, the how much gasoline you're purchasing uh, and saying maybe you're driving your your gasoline powered vehicle a little too much and you need to switch over to electric vehicle? Are they going to start looking at your purchasing power for the energy that you're using in your home, as we've seen in California. You've got the governor now telling people to raise the thermostats. We've actually seen in, in Colorado that some of these smart thermostats were, were set outside of the individual owner's home. Uh, they were set from a centralized location, so they couldn't uh, adjust the thermostats to, to use more energy to either heat or cool their home. So it, this has a big brother effect. It's very Orwellian when you start to look at it uh, from a macro scale, and you start to look at it, it's not just us who are going to be affected by this, but who's going to be the next industry? Who's going to be the next product? That, that's going to be targeted for some of these woke campaigns. And it is really scary to think that we're putting this kind of authority into the hands of unelected officials, especially unelected officials outside of our own nation. Absolutely. Mark Oliver with the National Shooting Sports Foundation. As always, sir, appreciate your time, and I know we'll be talking again very soon. Yes, sir. Always great to talk to you, Ken. Thanks. I do appreciate Mark joining us on the program. We will be talking a lot more about this in the uh, weeks and months to come. But you know, Mark is right. Uh, one of the best things that we could do right now uh, is to get involved, to get engaged, to uh, encourage our fellow gun owners to get out and vote this November so we can try to have a, uh, a backstop uh, to some of this uh, anti-gun nonsense that we're seeing here in Congress. And not only a backstop, but uh, perhaps a way to go on offense and to try to uh, uh, peel back uh, some of these new restrictions, because again, as Mark says, this is not just limited to the firearms industry. It's not just limited to gun owners. This creeping authoritarianism that we're seeing uh, on the left uh, does need to be checked. And the best way to do that is at the ballot box come November. Now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We'll start there with a tragic story out of California. I saw this uh, when I was on vacation and I got to tell you, this just it, it it is a as I said, it's a tragedy. And it reminds me quite a bit of the uh, death of Carol Bound in New Jersey a few years ago. Carol Bound was a woman who had an abusive ex. She wanted to be able to protect herself. She did everything that you're supposed to do 
you know, she took out order of protection. She actually applied for a permit to own a firearm in her home. But the local police department didn't process her application in time. We're supposed to do it within 30 days. I think it had been close to six weeks when she called and said, what's going on? I said, ah, you know, we're still working our way through it. Not long afterwards, Carol Bound was murdered in the driveway of her home by the guy that she had taken out a restraining order against. Well, in San Carlos, California, we've seen something similar. A woman beheaded, allegedly by her ex, a guy, again, who she had taken out a restraining order against. But California's vaunted gun control laws didn't stop this attack. We don't know if the victim... In this case, uh, Karina Castro even wanted a fire. Maybe she didn't. But we do know that thanks to California's gun control laws, it would have been very, very difficult for her to acquire one legally in a short period of time. In fact, it would have been legally impossible for her to do so without going through a 10-day waiting period. Uh, investigators said last week that uh, Castro, who's a mother of two little girls, seven and just one year of age, brutally murdered by her estranged husband, excuse me, a strange boyfriend, a guy named uh, Jose Solano. Solano apparently armed with a samurai sword. The victim's family has been uh, speaking out since then, noting that Solano had been contacted by law enforcement on multiple occasions for domestic violence, for other crimes. Uh, Nathaniel Chan, who's the victim's neighbor, said he recalled Castro talking about how afraid she was of Solano. He said the night before she was pacing back and forth in front of the house, just the night before, and I heard that she was talking really loud on the phone, and she said, it feels like I've got a target on my back. Again, I don't know if Castro had sought to buy a gun, had tried to obtain a firearm for personal protection. I don't know. What I do know, again, is that thanks to California's 10-day waiting period and other gun control restrictions, it's not an easy thing for even somebody in the midst of an emergency, to be able to exercise their Second Amendment rights of armed self-defense. Solano has been arrested. He is expected in court today. He, uh, according to prosecutors, uh, could face the death penalty for this crime. Uh, but Castro's family, still grieving, still mourning, and again, still wondering why on earth this happened, given that uh, Solano was on the radar of so many individuals. And the sad truth is that an order of protection is not a suit of armor. It is a piece of paper when the subject of that protective order decides to disregard it. It doesn't offer much protection for the individual uh, facing danger, which is something that um, gun control activists and anti-gun politicians in places like California never really talk about. Today's Armed Citizen story from Harris County, Texas, where a 17-year-old shot and killed two suspects during an attempted home invasion in East Harris County. Uh, this 17-year-old at home with, uh, I believe, uh, his mom, uh, as well as uh, two other uh, minors. Uh, the uh, sheriff there in Harris County, Ed Gonzalez, says that there was an adult woman in the home, two teenage boys, and a, a 12-year-old. Uh, inside when three armed men wearing masks, quote, attempted to make forced entry into that home. At some point, Gonzalez says, one of the teen boys grabbed a shotgun and shot at two of these suspects several times. Both men 
died of their injuries at the scene. A third suspect then fled the scene. Thankfully, no one inside the home was injured. Gonzalez says that the case will be presented to a grand jury, uh, guessing that no charges are going to be filed against the 17-year-old acting in defense of himself and his family, at least not uh, for those uh, actions. Again, we'll see if there were any extenuating circumstances here, but it doesn't sound like that at the moment. And, you know, again, we keep seeing these uh, pushes around the country for things like safe storage laws. Uh, you know, if you allow your minor access to a firearm, uh, you're a terrible parent. In this case, the fact that the 17-year-old could access a shotgun perhaps saved the rest of his family. Uh, yes, it cost two alleged home invaders their lives, but sounds like he was able to protect his parent and siblings. And I don't know why anybody, beyond perhaps the families of the alleged home invaders, would consider that to be a, a bad thing. And yet we still, again, have this... Uh, uh, explicit desire uh, by the gun control lobby to make it virtually impossible for parents to determine for themselves when their own children are responsible enough to have access to a firearm, not only, uh, again, for hunting, for plinking, but to save lives as well. Finally, speaking of saving lives, our good deed of the day, Revere, Massachusetts, where an Uber driver in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing to rescue a woman and a child from a fiery auto crash. This happened just a, a couple of days ago. Uh, and I got to say, you know, this is such an incredible story. The uh, Uber driver, Mohamed Triori, uh, said there's a part of me as a human being. It's our job to save lives. You know, he was just driving down the road. He's on the way to the airport and he saw a car in front of him flip onto its side. So he immediately pulled over, rushed to the scene, said he heard a woman screaming for help, trying to open the door, but the weight was too much because of how the car was on its side. So he helped lift the door open, and then he realized the woman's young daughter was trying to escape first. He yelled out for help. Nobody was around. He said, I had to do it myself. So he used my right hand to lift the door with all of my might, and then I pulled the baby out with my left hand. Uh, moments after the daughter and mom and Mohammed Traore got away, the car then burst into flames. He said it was less than a minute. He said smoke started to come from the vehicle, then fire the engines on, liquids coming out. He said, so I, I sense danger. He says he still has a, a sore arm from the rescue. It uh, is uh, seeing a doctor, but he also says he would not change a thing about what he did. He said life is the only gift that once it is taken away, you can never have it again. He said, I'm a Muslim. If you save one life, it's like you've saved every human being's life. Well, Mohammed Traore saved two lives in Revere, Massachusetts, in the right place, at the right time, most importantly, willing and able to do the right thing. And we thank him for his very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. But the good news is, I'll be back tomorrow. We've got more for you all week long, well, at least through Thursday. And I uh, hope that you'll join me once again. Don't forget to check out BarryandArms.com throughout the weekday as well. We'll get you caught up on all of the latest Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about. If you like what you see, I'd also encourage you to become a VIP member. You can do that just by going to BarryandArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. As our way of saying thanks for you showing your support for what we do at Barry and Arms, we're going to give you exclusive content, news stories and analysis you won't find anywhere else because your support does matter. And it really does make a difference. So thank you again. Have a great rest of your Monday. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free. <laughs>